Harrison Ford happened to be there. Somebody introduced me to him, and I talked to him for 20 minutes about Blade Runner, which was the highlight of my evening slash life. And I was like, so with the voiceover, did you phone it in? Because, you know, people speculate this. Son, I think you know more about this film than I do. (laughs) (laughs) This Week in Startups is brought to you by Microsoft for Startups Founders Hub. For the challenges you face as a startup founder, Microsoft for Startups Founders Hub is here to help. The platform provides founders with free resources like Azure credits, development tools like GitHub, mentorship resources, productivity software, training, and so much more. The program is open to all and takes five minutes to apply with no funding required. Learn more and sign up at aka.ms slash this week in startups assure is the leading provider of special purpose vehicles and fund administration with over 5,000 completed transactions and 2.5 billion dollars under administration twist listeners can get 20 percent off their first spv at assure.co slash twist that's assure.co slash twist and micro acquire the startup acquisition marketplace Start the right acquisition conversations at your own pace. Get free and instant access to over 100,000 trusted buyers with total anonymity. Say goodbye to brokers and meet your ideal buyer today. Go to try.microacquire.com slash twist. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of This Week in Startups. Back from her triumphant vacation. She took some time off. She went to incredible locations like the dying, decrepit, poisoned uh, Salton Sea, uh, incredible world tour. She's back, the Oracle of Oakland, our dame from the Podcasting Hall of Fame. Yes, the Queen of Green, Molly Wood. Welcome back oh, to the program. My God, I get my very own all-in style hype intro? Absolutely. Hype intros are coming for everybody. You have made my <laughs> entire month, year. That's outstanding. That's why I was smiling, because I knew you'd get a kick out of it because i was like you know what molly deserves one i'm gonna i'm gonna workshop one so thanks to nick for workshopping with me damn i'm, I'm particularly proud of the dame from the podcasting dame hall of from fame the podcasting hall of fame has been out. i'm like i'm blushing a little bit like that was huge for me it was huge man i Thank just you. if everybody could help me though i just <laughs> i've done three weeks of these f-ing intros at all i'm like how long can you keep that up and because now, that's amazing i can't keep it up there's no way i can keep it up but if people can give me dms open send me go. one-liners basically here's how you make the intro you find something in the orbit of somebody you know like if i'm breaking chops with sacks that he's into tucker you know they just got to get a worm word or two that rhymes with tucker and then you start workshopping it in your brain Mm -hmm. like he's a sucker for tucker you know yeah no i I got it i got it i went to a different word obviously How He's did you friends not? with that ever. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I might use that one again. Actually, Nick, you got that e already on the All In podcast. You might as well just go for it. Uh, we do have an it. explicit there. I, uh, oh, J. Cal God uh, bars. Look at them go. People are losing their minds in the comments about this, and I'm just like, I can't keep it up. Um, it's literally, but I give Nick a lot of credit. Producer Nick came up with Sasshole for oh, he did. Yeah, that, I think that Bravo, was all Nick. Nick. And I, 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 or, I don't know, because I asked the producers to put a couple notes in for me. And, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, like, you know, with comedy and most of them fall flat. But that one, that was the, that was, that was the, a good split one. the arrow with that one. All right, we got a, a lot of news today. 
so I, I guess. Oh. Yeah. Okay, let's oh, just God. acknowledge up front. Yes, please. This is awkward for Jason. Well, and I am not going to push you. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, 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 I handled you a little bit the last time we talked about okay. this. And I won't because I know it's a it's tough just complicated. Spot to be in. You know, complicated. like if you're f- best friends, mm-hmm. I have like three or four best friends who are in the news a lot. And it just makes it hard for me to comment on stuff, especially, and we can leave this in the show. I I give the disclaimer all the time, you know, like if Travis or Elon or, you know, whoever are in the news, sometimes I can or can't comment on it because I'm friends with them. And then what happens is I become this backdoor proxy. So like last week, I got asked to be on 20 different news programs, not to talk about the work I'm doing in the world. Yeah. But to talk about, you know, you know, whatever Elon's doing. And And that's fine. I understand. Um, and I will go to bat, you know, my general philosophy is if like they're getting beat up in the press about something like in the old days, I would go to bat for them. Mm-hmm. Because there was nobody else and people didn't even know the company. So when you see old clips of me defending Tesla, like, hey, we should have green cars or defending Uber, hey, Travis is going to figure it out. That's a like kind of a different moment than now when people have arrived. And so let's get right into it. Obviously, yep. uh, people know that Elon uh, has a position in Twitter. Uh, and was going to join the board, and Parag uh, Agarwal. Agarwal. Mm-hmm. Agarwal got it right. Okay, thank God. I mean, it's mm-hmm. so weird with my dyslexia. Arg- I sometimes I just nail the hard ones, and then I get like Jones wrong. That's a hard like, one too, though. Jonas. That's like a rural juror. Like it's yeah. a hard. It's hard yeah. to put all those. Yeah. Anyway, Parag Agarwal. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's pretty. It's actually pretty easy for me. Yep. Okay. So Parag tweeted out this memo that he sent to the entire Twitter team saying uh, that Elon Musk would not, in fact, be taking a board seat. So to get you all caught up, and I'm sure you have been because you're all in our industry and have been paying attention to this nonstop, which even I was uh, while I was by the pool. Um, Pretty compelling. Elon Musk has taken this stake in Twitter, 9.2%. It sounded like he was going to join the board of Twitter. And then over the weekend... Parag sent this note saying Elon Musk has decided not to join our board. I'm just going to read uh, some or all of this and then we'll discuss. Here's what I can share about what happened. Parag wrote, the board and I had many discussions about Elon joining the board and with Elon directly. We were excited to collaborate and clear about the risks. We also believed that having Elon as a fiduciary of the company where he, like all board members, has to act in the best interest of the company and all our shareholders was the best path forward. The board offered him a seat. We announced on Tuesday that Elon would be appointed to the board contingent on a background check and formal acceptance. Elon's appointment to the board was to become officially effective for nine. That was uh, Friday, I think. But Elon shared that same morning that he will no longer be joining the board. I believe this is for the best. We have and always will value input from our shareholders, whether they're on our board or not. Elon is our biggest shareholder and will remain open to his input. There will be distractions ahead. But our goals and priorities remain unchanged. The decisions we make and how to execute is in our hands, no one else's. Let's tune out the noise and stay focused on the work and what we're building. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's been a lot of speculation as to why this is. I don't have inside information. Uh, So just to make that clear for the re-aggregators, please don't (laughs) re-aggregate anything I say. Um, So awkward. Well, no, adding to it is I went to the ta- the gigafactory opening because all my friends were there and then somebody took video of me talking to harrison ford in the vip harrison ford happened to be there somebody introduced me to him and i talked to him for 20 minutes about blade runner which was the highlight of my I mean, evening amazing. slash life and i was like so with the voiceover did you phone it in because you know people speculate this and say, son 
I think you know more about this film than I do. <laughs> and I was like, You're wow. Like, you then, should watch my show. Because I was like, well, it. tell me about Ridley Scott or whatever. And I, th- I opened up by saying, this, I just want to thank you for my childhood. Mm-hmm. Like Mosquito Coast, Indiana Jones, Blade Runner, Star Wars. I said, you know, it's just, it's just amazing and, and just thrilling to meet you. And I just want to say thank you because like a lot of the highlights of my childhood were, you know, around the, the performances you gave. It's really true. Now you're making me feel old, J.G.L. I'm working at a workshop in my Harrison Ford. You know, son, son, I think you know more about this film than I do. <laughs> it was the greatest. Amazing. I asked him, like, did and you know like, you were I a do. replicant? I was like, did you know you were a replicant in Blade Runner? <laughs> and he says to me, you know, I told Willie Scott, don't f- tell me. I don't want to know. That's for you to decide. I want to do a detective movie. And I read the script. And they have voiceover in the script. And I want to show it through actions. And they want me to do voiceover. I was in it for a detective movie. And it, just, it was the greatest conversation. Really? Yeah, and I'm talking Amazing. to him. With wa- me, Walter Isaacson, Harrison Ford are talking. Yeah. You know, and now it's getting like 10 minutes, 15. And there is like a group of people trying to get to either of those two. Interests. And in all honesty, a couple people want to take a couple selfies with me. But, you know, Harrison Ford is the show. And so... You know, he doesn't want to stop talking to us because we're having like a great conversation about Ridley Scott, about film, about Tesla, about car. I mean, just everything. It was, it was a great moment. So here's uh, what I think. There is no greater product person or executive, and this is kind of obvious just in terms of like experience and success than Elon at Twitter. And on a product basis, he uses Twitter more effectively than anyone at Twitter and probably knows the product as good or better. And so he, as a way that he operates businesses, talks about them. He does customer support in real time. So mm-hmm. whether you like his style or not, if you just look at it on a customer support and a product basis, let's just narrow on those two things, which is a big part of running a successful company is listening to your customers and building great products. He's better than anybody there, hands down. I mean, the guys, while this was all going down, the Gigafactory is the largest footprint building in the world, I, I believe in the United States for sure. I mean, this thing, Molly, when you look at it, like it took me 15, 20 minutes to walk to like that, you know, top level VIP area to like watch the the presentations and everything. I mean, it's like a long, long, long building. It is crazy. Um, and then he also was taking people to the International Space Station <laughs> on a tourist thing. This is all in the same 48 hour period. So if you're on the board of a company like this, you can't talk about the product anymore. That's over. And so I don't know why he made the decision. I don't know Prague's decisions. I don't know the board's decision. I have no insight into anything. But for me, I'd rather see Elon talking about the product all day long. And there was a very vibrant discussion about the product this weekend, including Twitter Blue, which I have, and which is kind of not worth paying for. But I have talked for many years. In fact, I since 2007, 2008, I've been talking about, hey, the blue check mark should be something that anybody can pay for. And then people are like, well, well, then how would that affect journalists like us who have the blue check mark and we feel special about it or celebrities? And we all know the history of the blue check mark. The blue check mark came because a lot of us had um, people faking and they just wanted to make sure you knew who was the real Ashton Kutcher. In fact, I think he was patient zero on the blue check mark. Mm. I- I'm actually sure of that. Right. Yeah, I remember having conversations with Ev about it. And so I think those kind of discussions are where Elon can be most helpful. And the amount of attention that Twitter is getting now is huge. And I guess there's speculation that if he was on the board, he could only build a certain size position. Mm-hmm. And so again, I don't know anything. Right. Sincerely, do not know anything. Don't 
reaggregate me. Um, but maybe he wants to own more or, you know, maybe he wants to talk about it. And so that's probably better for everybody. By some estimates, over 90% of startups will go out of business in year one. Don't I know it as an angel investor? That rings true to me. And that's why Microsoft created the Microsoft for Startups Founders Hub. This hub provides founders at any stage with up to six figures in resources. Wait until you hear about this ridiculous list of perks. You're going to get up to 150000 in Azure credits based on your stage and size. You're going to get technology benefits like free access to GitHub's enterprise tier, technical advice from experts at Azure and Microsoft Cloud, super helpful, one-to-one mentorship from their mentor network, plus exclusive benefits and discounts from companies like OpenAI, huh? very impressive and the best part is there are no fundraising requirements unlike others in the industry the microsoft for startups founders hub doesn't require startups to be investor back or third party validated to sign up for access benefits no it's open to everybody it's truly open to any founder microsoft wants to support you and you will get that support whether you've been anointed by some special people or not they care about all founders at microsoft it's not about who you know It's about what you're building. That's what Microsoft cares about. Any founder at any stage can get up to six figures of value by signing up right now at aka.ms slash This Week in Startups. Once again, you're going to start up and start building today at aka.ms slash This Week in Startups. Go ahead and go there and get those credits. I don't know what your take on it is. There were, right. So there was this, there were, I mean... (laughs) There's obviously a lot of speculation yeah. about this um, sure. nonstop. There were tweets that were deleted over the weekend, which was interesting, right? There were a lot of tweets that that Elon made over the weekend uh, that were cr- somewhat critical of Twitter. Mm. Like nobody's at the headquarters, so we should turn it. There was a, as usual, yay, a boob joke. Mm. Um, <laughs> <sighs> um, listen, I have the sense of humor of a 14 year old boy myself, but like, yeah, I mean, you were doing the BDE jokes just two weeks tired. ago on the program, so you guys tired. might not be tired. that different. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> very black kettle. That, black. like, in private, we would have the same, but I don't make those jokes on Twitter. I only make you them You did make it on the pod, though. On podcast. Uh, <laughs> just um, on the podcast. <laughs> anyway, there, so there were a lot of tweets that were deleted. Then there was, yes. like, you know, then there's the Kremlinology of, like, well, he liked this one tweet where somebody said that he was told to be quiet and play nice Mm. and he liked that and then of course there was the speculation they may have decided not to take a board uh seat because he may want to own more than what is it 14.9 percent i think is the max you can own as a director member and so there were i don't even know know where that comes from that concept and so i that felt to me i don't know but i would like to get fact check on this that that was just some agreement they came to that they picked some number that he could own as a board director yeah but yeah, obviously i wonder oh do you think it's exclusive to him uh it could well that it number? could be one of two things it could have been something they negotiated with him it could mm-hmm. be something that's in the charter of the company that you know independent board directors or board directors will only own up to this amount without consulting with the board you know it could be like um not a poison pill but like a little bit of a circuit breaker if mm-hmm. you're going to accumulate more just let us know kind of situation or get approval so i don't think anybody knows exactly where that comes from but it would be good for to get some clarity on that obviously but one of the things that's interesting about twitter and this goes to governance which we talk about on this program all the time because we're early stage investors is unlike the new york times or facebook uh, which have very strong owner control like Mm -hmm. the new york times is basically a private company that 
acts as a public company with Sulzberger. Sulzberger. Sulzbergers control that company and then like some Mexican billionaire bought I forgot his name, Carlos. Um, Carlos. Oh, yeah, come to come us. On. Anyway, yep. uh, he bought a ton of it, Slim. but he has no say. Right, it's like, totally. Congrats. So it's like a faux public company. And then you look at Facebook. That's kind of another faux public company where like Zuckerberg's kids, grandkids, great grandkids, like 17 generations from now will still control the company. It's, it's kind of weird that you get to be public and then also get to be controlled like a private company. I always felt that was weird. Like, I don't mm -hmm. know if we should allow that you know or I maybe mean, in it's theory no we definitely should not there should be like anyway well, um, anyway i mean but, it's, it's, but it's sort of like a hybrid not right? like that and twitter we is saying, not like that so it's here's almost the like thing. a dow when it comes to the well it's, it's just like it's like the united states of america there's 300 million plus people and 270 million more adults is theoretically 270 million votes twitter has some number of votes and so right. for people who are complaining on the left or the far left or whoever like start a group and buy a billion it's not that hard for you know uh, people who have track records to pull together a billion or two billion dollars as a consortium and buy a piece of this right there's plenty of people who are capable of doing that who maybe you know are on different parts of the political spectrum right george soros and other people buy all the time like mm -hmm. this so that's hmm. one of the interesting things i find about hmm. twitter is it's a it's one of the only public platforms that you could actually vote with your dollar on. I have so many thoughts about this idea that it's relatively easy for somebody to put together a consortium of a couple billion dollars to invest in Twitter, which is like only barely makes money. Like, I don't know about that, right? There are not that oh, uh, that's the New York Times could the New York Times could put together a billion dollars tomorrow. They could just go to their bankers and put together a sure. billion and buy yeah. some of it. They could buy three or four percent of it. There is a version in which there could be a bidding war for Twitter shares, and that would be pretty interesting. Right. Like it would be interesting if somebody was like, I'm concerned about this existential threat that, you know, Elon Musk's ownership in Twitter represents for the public square. And so I'm going to like buy an equal and opposite number of shares, either via yeah. a DAO or with or I'm with not saying civilians can do it. I don't yeah, know. I'm, not, I'm not saying like the, you know, right. The, OK, a civilian civilians can do it. I'm talking about people of means. There yeah. are tons of them across the spectrum and, and they could buy different and, and they have right so people with different i mean and corporations with different political leanings yeah, could buy totally. portions of it and it, i think actually that's that's a potential outcome here i mean um, that would be super interesting because it because it look we have no idea i, I this is what part of what makes this so awkward is because there's only one person in there uh, like there's a handful of people in the world who might be able to understand what elon is thinking about this and weirdly you're one of them and like you're really <laughs> good at but so no, so no one knows. Let's just let's just keep it I simple. I think you take Elon. No I, would say is, I think you can take Elon as a word here. Elon, you probably take Elon at his word. He thinks it's important. He said it's a public square. Mm -hmm. He said freedom of speech is important. I think you take him at his word. And he thinks the product is is broken, right? Or needs. Well, we help. all think the product could be better. He's he so. asked at one point. I think if if Twitter was dying, since many of the most followed accounts, I thought tweet that was a good tweet little, actually, which and I, think I responded to it. Like they really have not thought about justin bieber at all right they haven't thought about Katy perry and those kind of people i yeah. think he name checked both of them and you know if you look at those two and anyway Taylor swift look at tiktok mm -hmm. i responded with a tiktok yes. screenshot and i was like look tiktok puts bieber's tracks right on his profile if twitter was like run properly over the years and it has not been run properly ever i mean that's I why i completely agree yeah. yeah i mean that's that's why zuckerberg called CEOs. it the clown car that <laughs> drove into a diamond mine like put merch 
on your profile page, put yeah. tracks on your profile page and let people sell their tickets. And all of a sudden, those people would be super engaged again. They could mm -hmm. make that in like a team of five developers and five product managers, it's just a SWAT team of 10, literally yeah. a million dollar team, that $2 million team, you get paid well there. $2 million team could build this in six months, and then iterate on it every three months. And they could be the best platform for musicians with a team of 10 people and $2 million mm -hmm. a year. And that would generate, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue for those artists and they would be there, but they're not being courted. If you're an accredited investor, you need to know about special purpose vehicles. So what is an SPV? Well, it's an investment vehicle that allows up to 250 investors to invest up to $10 million by one entity on a cap table. So if you're an angel investor and you got a bunch of rich friends like I do, you could start your own syndicate and power it through an SPV. Here at Launch, we love working with the team out of Shore. They power all of my syndicates, which is the largest one in the world, with over 10,000 members, and we've done hundreds of deals. Ashore is the leading providers of SPVs and fund administration with over $2.5 billion in AUA, assets under administration. And they've done over 5,000 completed transactions. And they've developed an innovative software program called Glassboard. This automates the entire investment experience from entity formation all the way to an IPO. Ashley and Heidi on my team who manage the syndicate.com love the interface and use it every single day. And not only do investors love it, but founders love it as well because it keeps their cap tables nice and clean. No messy party rounds over here. No, they also manage the entire process over the life of the investment. So to get 20% off your first special purpose vehicle SPV, I want you to visit assure.co slash twist. That's a s s u r e dot c o slash t w i s t to get 20% off your first SPV. I mean, it is interesting. Like, I think it's worth looking at why Twitter might be dying. Like, I still use Twitter a fair amount. But yes. my usage has, has certainly declined. And because so, so I was listening uh, harassment because it's not, or yeah, because it's oh, that's not interesting, yeah. fun, right? So I was listening to the all in podcast and, I've, and obviously yeah. like a whole lot of the conversations around this involve this concept of free speech. And, you know, I always roll my eyes when people call it that because yeah. censorship is a tool of government, not private companies. Um, but also... I was thinking about why there, the I have this reflexive response and many people I know have this reflexive response. And it's because for women yep. and women of color and people from marginalized groups, the speech on Twitter has never been free, right? It has always come yeah, you get at brigaded. a high cost. You get brigaded, you get yelled. Like I have long since censored myself mm. on Twitter because it yes. sucks to be yeah. on Twitter if you got more than, uh, you know, 20,000 followers and you're a lady. And so yeah. this idea that like, <laughs> that like the, the rich white guys who are left just discovered that sometimes it's not that fun to be on Twitter and they want yeah. more free speech. And, and a lot of the speech they seem to be advocating for is disinformation or harassment. It's like, well, no, I don't think anybody's I don't, I, in fairness, I don't think anybody's advocating for that. I think it's more like, I, I think COVID-19 was a big trigger for folks. Um, and like the blocking of the New York Post, I know for Sachs, like that was a big one. But, you know, when you give them the examples of, and I think Trump was a big one for some people. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think, you know, the Trump one, I had, I did not want to see Trump get banned as president because I thought it was important that the president be on there. But when he gave them the easy, like, I'm causing a riot and people are going to die. 
I wouldn't have done a lifetime ban. I would have done um, doubling bans every time he does something. So it's like it was a one year ban. And then he does it again. Now it's a three year ban. You know, kind of like how the justice system works. So anyway, that's just like a nuance. Um, but I, I understand your point. Like yeah. it's a different experience. But you know, they added that feature where you can have only your people can reply. Sure, so you yeah. use that feature? I'm curious. Because I, I, I started using it. Of it. I don't think I use the version where only people who follow me can reply. Uh, I mean, my Twitter, look, I am very lucky also. My Twitter's not that bad. Like, it's really bad. not. Yes, and I don't know yes. if it's, if it's, you know, I don't think it's me. It's probably because I have spent a long time censoring myself and being a lot nicer on Twitter. And also I'm a very aggressive blocker. Not yeah. Andreessen level blocker, but you know. Uh, like I'm on like, a scale dude, of one to Mark Andreessen, you're like a seven. <laughs> is optional for me. Like I don't have yeah. to listen to this, and I block. But anyway, I guess all I'm saying is like Twitter probably is dying because as a product, it, there's very little upside. Like you can get attention, you can build a brand, but it's mostly sort of like journalists and people who like to fight with each other, which actually leads quite nicely into our next story because mm. what it really comes down to is like what is twitter for mm. who is twitter for and what would make it work best it's a full contact platform right i mean it be, just the nature of how it's designed that anybody on the platform can respond to anybody mm -hmm. is like hugely and this was evs and jack's original vision that it was the most open platform right. so if you were a celebrity if you were a politician you had you couldn't control your own replies so you choose this, you got to answer to everybody. It's, all, mm -hmm. it's like you can't just like speak to your constituents. Although they did add that feature, which I just talked about, like only allow my followers or people I follow to comment. So they did eventually add that. But that was the antithesis of what Jack and Ev and Biz wanted in the beginning. They were mm -hmm. very clear. You want to be on this platform, you got to answer to everybody. We're, celebrities, politicians, journalists, sports figures. This is the open platform. You don't get to delete when people reply to you. You could report but they did actually let you hide replies now. <laughs> so right. they actually did right. wind up adding those features. I just don't think people use them liberally. Um, right. But I anyway, think, I think this, yeah. I, I agree. I think people don't yeah. use them liberally. I, I, you know, I, like we talk all the time about the evolution of these platforms in a way that sort of follows what society does. Like there's just hmm. only so much that you can say whatever you want to people or yep. create bots to brigade them or, hmm. you know, pass the around information that causes real world harm right this is like a, i think the real world a, harm thing is real i think this is like one of your, your good insights here is like if and I, and I think actually elon's talked about this a lot about like all the crypto people crypto scams and all the fake accounts that put like a a blue you know whatever icon next to their names and try to get people to send eth or whatever they're mm -hmm. and youtube has that problem too all these fake accounts like they, there's like a there was a 24-hour chamath channel for a while trying to get people to send bitcoin to a wallet that was supposedly Jamat's. Um, mm, yeah, all that bot problem could be easily solved. And I think Twitter is like technically incompetent and just doesn't solve that problem. Here's an idea like if you were paying for the service as if you paid for the VIP level of a service, like I have 500,000, you have 200,000, he's got 70 million, like, for people with over 100,000, you pay $1,000 a year for like VIP service. For people over a million, you pay 5000 a year, whatever it is like some if you choose that could get you VIP customer support where you can literally call somebody on the phone and say, listen, if, look at my replies, where you can email somebody, hey, can you look at my replies There's somebody's pretending to be me? And they're like, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll delete that account right now. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thanks for calling Molly. Or you say, hey, listen, I'm being harassed. You, you email your customer support rep. Hey, listen, there's somebody who's been harassing me feels like there's a bot army. And then they're like, yeah, okay, we're going to neuter that bot army. Like how amazing would that be? If they turned 
the biggest problem into a profit center. <laughs> you know, like it, it would actually be I mean, kind of a, cool. To be fair, although that is a lovely product idea that I would happily pay for, that would take it yeah. even farther away from the idea of the public square. It would just the be town if, square. If if indeed we buy the idea that that's what Twitter is, which is some sort of a town square where like ideas are exchanged and it should be as free as possible and everybody's an equal yeah. because you can't pay, you can't buy your way out of the misery, right? No, no, Everybody you could pay, you could pay. It would just be a sliding scale. So if well, you sure, have 10,000 people. Not the town square. Yeah, but it, this isn't a, this is like if you go to the town square and you want to, you know, order a glass of champagne <laughs> from the restaurant that's on the town square, you could sit. We don't like the town square we want to create, but that's what I'm saying. <laughs> yes. That's society. What you're describing is society. Yes. Right. A yes. big messy town square where everybody's equal and accountable to all the same people and nobody can buy their way out of that experience that's yeah. not what society wants that no. never like no no people do not want to wait in line they want to have a <laughs> vip line at the dmv uh -huh. absolutely everybody eventually wants a vip line so if twitter totally. is going to become a better product it's going to become less of a town square yeah i mean it, it'll have town square like you know features uh, mm -hmm. but i thought this new york times um which is a great segue why don't we segue into that for a moment Let's because this that, yeah. is also super telling mm-hmm so, so many people on Twitter are journalists that I, it's funny, actually, because like mm, seven or eight years ago, maybe I uh, ran out of time to do it. But I was like, I am going to get Marty Baron and Dean Bacay and the whoever was in at the Washington or was at the journal. Marty Baron was the post. Anyway, the top Baker, editors, top Baker, CEOs, whatever. Right? And I was going to be like, you need to come to my panel at South by Southwest and you need to explain to me why you're allowing your journalists on Twitter because Twitter yeah. has become the assignment desk for the mainstream media and that is terrible. Yeah. And now here comes Dean Bacay who just yes. woke up out of his, uh, you know, decade long coma and was like, whoa, this is kind of a mess. Micro Acquire is a startup acquisition marketplace that cuts out everyone in the middle. Basically, this means they help a startup get acquired super efficiently. Yes, if you're a founder looking to sell, Micro Acquire is free, it's private, and nobody is going to get into the middle of your deal and insert their motivations, which might not be in your best interest to date while they've helped hundreds of startups get acquired. I kid you not. And they've facilitated hundreds of millions of dollars in closed deal volume. Their platform includes over 120,000 buyers that pay $390 a year for a subscription. And thousands of startups currently are listed for sale at Micro Acquire. They've had hundreds of successful acquisitions so far. So founders can get free access instantly to over 120,000 trusted buyers and you're going to stay totally anonymous. On the other side of the marketplace, again, buyers are paying that $390 a year so you know they're serious. Micro Acquire will help you find a buyer for your startup. It's as simple as that. Buyers can browse listings for free and the platform is totally free for sellers. Sign up for a premium subscription right now for just $390 a year to access all these great deals at try.microacquire.com slash twist. Once again, try.microacquire.com micro m-i-c-r-o acquire.com slash twist the new york times has told its reporters to stop tweeting so much after by the way really creating an environment in which if you were not on twitter you could not get hired as a new journalist like they no were way. hiring people based on follower count let's they be were honest hiring people based on follower count without question because they're star makers and they want people to come in with a brand they want traffic. It's a traffic-based. They, they want traffic. Or, or I should say it was a traffic-based business. It was. So that's actually, 
that may actually be the nuance here. So now reporters can still be on Twitter, but are encouraged to, quote, meaningfully reduce how mm. much time you're spending on the platform mm. tweeting or scrolling in relation mm. to other parts of your job, according to Dean McKay. Dean McKay. So tweet less, tweet more thoughtfully, and devote more time to reporting. I'm sorry, reporting? Can you define that? What is that exactly? Does that, does that mean retweets? Um, are retweets reporting people, or liking? <laughs> Building a mean, list, is that reporting? Call people who are not on Twitter and find out what the actual story is. Well, mm -hmm. What about uh, the trending topics? That's reporting. If you go to trending topics and you pick the number six, seven, eight, one and that appeals to your sensibility and you write exactly. a story based on that, that's, that's the real world. Mm -hmm. I mean, this goes back to the Chappelle quote. Twitter's not the real world. That's your point as well, isn't it? Yeah. Twitter is not the real world. Um, the push Far to have reporters it. tweet less. And, and again, we're sort of reporting this somewhat credul credulously as though the New York Times itself had not just gotten caught up in a scandal in which a departing reporter accused it of trying to stifle individual brands and creativity. And then Taylor Lorenz. Like, Taylor Lorenz. And then Maggie Haberman, who nobody really realizes this. She's legacy at the New York Times. Like her mm. father was a legendary New York Times reporter, one of the people who helped mm. build the place, right? So she is a grandfathered in access reporter who will never not be a star. Define access reporter for Times. people who don't understand access journalism. So access journalism is the idea that you, the stories that you break, you are able to break a lot of news because you've cultivated a whole series of sources who will tell you stuff. You have access to them. As a result, you don't burn that access. Mm. You just so don't. what's pernicious about that is what's pernicious about that is you never know if there's information that is being held back in the interest of preserving access. And most likely there is. So the and actually a classic example of this is when the books come out and the books contain information that was arguably in the public interest and could have been reported much sooner but it was saved for the book because they had all this great access and they didn't want to like blow it up. Got it. And so yeah. if you were to write the truth, hey, or the full truth, let's say they put 87% out that last 13%. If that were to make the subject perturbed, then you don't get them for the next story, which means you don't get the $500,000 or million dollar paycheck or whatever these access journalists are getting. Maybe you don't get the million dollar podcast deal. Maybe you don't have the million dollar conference deal maybe the, you know, $3 million book deal, all that stuff goes away if you don't mm -hmm. have access to the subjects. Mm -hmm. Exactly. When mm. in fact, a lot of times the subjects making the news, sure, a lot of them are politicians. And a lot of them are people in the White House. But a lot of them are just people out in the world. There are great Business stories people. that you can tell without relying on yes. leaks. And because the access, the other downside of access journalism is you are most likely constantly being spun. Like, yes, you're I being worked. You're being worked. Yes. I actually had a rule on Marketplace Tech, which is that we very rarely interviewed companies. Mm. Like, I hardly ever had CEOs on. We almost Instead, never talked you would to talk companies. to who? We would talk to real people. Like, we would talk employees. to employees. We'd talk to employees or we would talk customers. to customers. People actually, you know, on the receiving end of products. We talked to, to be fair, we talked to a fair number, like more than we should have of analysts and mm -hmm. um, academics. But analysts and academics may be trying to sell a book, but the mm -hmm. incentives are a little bit different from someone who's trying to build a company or spin a story politically, right? In the case of 
yeah. political access. Which journalism. is why when you'll hear me on this podcast, if somebody starts doing that meeting trading bullshit, I just tell them right up like, hey, yeah, no, I know you want to tell me the Gokoff origin story. Just tell me the <laughs> margins because that's all anybody gives <laughs> about. Like, let's be honest here. Like, how the are you making this business work? Yeah. Like, what is the goddamn margin? How does it work? Because everybody out here is that's the question on everybody's mind. Like, yeah, we love the fact that you can get us a pack of, you know, gum and a six pack of beer and whatever we're ordering in 25 minutes. But we just want to know if you're going to be here next year, because everybody else who told us the same bullshit story is not here. Cosmo's not here. This isn't here. That's not here. Urban Fetch isn't here. I just love how like mad you are still about that. It's amazing. No, I just, I find, you know what but it is? True. I just no, hate, it's totally these, true. I like, hate just, these media training people. I hate PR people with the exception of like two who I'm friendly with. They just yeah. constantly are like, here's what you do. It's not they, real. They ask you a question and then you may, then we have the stump speech for you. That makes you look really good. And if we keep telling it over and over again, just don't, yeah. uh, here's the thing. If you're media trained and you're, you you want to spin that book, just don't come on the show. I'll, we get, Molly and I can talk about your business better with you not here if you're gonna do the media training if you come here have a real goddamn conversation period end of story end of clip yeah. clip this send to the next pr person who tries to work us i mean that also everything you said is also why i never chased ceo interviews because like or did or very rarely and every time i had one it would be like a letdown because they're not especially the bigger the company god help me it's just boring it's that's just why terrible. you are a huge fan of the ceo's talk candidly and real on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bravo. Right, well played, to, sir. Well played. Oh, here so we back go. to the New York Times. Back it, to the New York this, Times. We are taking at face value the idea that Vicay is worried that journalists are spending too much time on Twitter, that their perceptions might be warped by what they see there, this that thing? they're no longer yeah, part of the real world, which again, a decade uh, too late. And also, they just had this like absurd back and forth with Taylor Lorenz and other, you know, big name journalists, like essentially attacking her on Twitter. It's, it is probably just as much reputational damage that Bekay is trying to control for here as it is time mm -hmm. and a warped sense of reality. But the warped sense of reality on Twitter, I think, should be the basis of all of this. Like, it is not good journalism to be taking yes. to be getting outraged by stuff you see on Twitter and then turning that into outrageous stories. This is I think key point. If your goal is to tell the truth to the audience, then it's not you're not telling the truth if you're mitigating through the warped lens of social media. That is not reality. How people behave on Twitter uh is crazy and like you know it, the other thing that's damaging to the New York Times brand. So there's one is Okay, the input, your view of the world and what you're going to write, the input is up. Mm -hmm. Now, here's the other thing that gets totally screwed up is the perception of the paper over time. So Sarah Zhang, yeah, J-E-O-N-G. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I guess she's not part of the New York Times anymore. She they, they Remember when they brought her, her on, then somebody went through her tweets, mm -hmm. which is what happens every time. Mm -hmm. Let's look at your tweets. Now, if you if you were on Twitter, like in the 2008 to 2018 period, it was a chat room. It wasn't really like a people didn't know you were going to be like pulling their tweets and their job interviews. Uh, people were pretty loosey goosey. And she said like all kinds of crazy stuff like white men this da, da, da. and whether she was joking or not, or, you know, I, I don't really care if people have like uh, cheeky opinions or their full contact. But for the New York Times, it just gave ammunition to critics. Every time she wrote something that she's anti this group, anti that group, super woke, whatever. Um, and I'm not just calling her out. This happens on the right as well. And it happens far right, far left. Right. 
everybody's got some tweet comedians whatever that didn't age well and that's the problem is like they i think the paper wants to be respected for doing good work so if you're got a warped view of reality and then you're acting cheeky or crazy or you know your comedy doesn't land because you're not dave Chappelle, but you're trying to make jokes on twitter and it doesn't land and it offends mm -hmm. people you're not in a comedy club right the context right. matters in a comedy club you say a joke people go okay it's a joke it was good it was bad it's a one to ten okay i laughed i didn't let's go on to the next joke on twitter they're like is that a joke or do you actually hate white men or right. do you actually like to use you know this word that's not appropriate like or, or do you use that word all the time is that like who you are and yada yada so yeah, the, the, i mean well, part of it the, is the, the perception of new york times journalists is bad yes and the the problem that the new york times has is in having in wanting to have it both ways they want this perception of gravitas and mm. journalism that's above the fray and ivory tower and actually listening to everybody but they also want stars because mm. people click for stars yes. so they want to collect personalities and they want to collect them based on their like potentially outrageous tweets what's so interesting about sarah jung is that they hired her took all the flack for that and then i think when they fired her it's because she tweeted about the oh, new she york fired? times oh. uh, she left she left okay <laughs> she left the times did not announce its departure or her departure from the editorial board in mm. august but it happened after she tweeted about the new york times i think or wait no that was in september hmm. she left in august she is now a contracted contributor for new york times opinion the news regarding her status came hours after she raised eyebrows on Twitter over her response yeah, to a columnist for The Guardian who was urging against people canceling their subscriptions. And she said, oh, New York Times definitely pays attention to subscriber cancellations. One of the metrics for outrage that they use, she wrote, to distinguish between real outrage and superficial outrage was when people um, oh. canceled their subscriptions. And The New York Times was like, whoa, 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 whoa. You Ooh. can tweet a lot of crazy stuff, but you can't put out our dirty laundry. <laughs> and now you're out. <laughs> that like, makes sense. They want it both yes. ways. And it's so dirty. And it's so, and it, and Taylor Lorenz is 100% right about the way the New York Times is a star picker, right? They're like, we've decided that you can be a star, but you cannot. And mm. we'll choose. And we mm. want that. And we want this, like, tons of attention. But yep. also, we want to be the most respected name in journalism. It's like, I'm sorry, like, you actually can't have all that. Mm. yeah uh it is a um it's a thing yeah it's officially a thing and i i, I think this is great for the new york times because mm -hmm. as people as someone who is highly addicted to twitter you know it's a couple hours a day of my life every day if you start adding it up it means they could file one more time a week it means they can get one more scoop every two weeks mm -hmm. uh you know you, you live by the gun you die by the gun is kind of one more actual person you know talk to somebody on the phone yes talk to somebody on the phone i did it i did it like just and then i swear i'm gonna stop dunking on the new york times but it <clears throat> i have history yeah I, you work there yeah. i did the how we survive podcast right so yeah. one of the one of the people that we talked to they did this like smooch smoochy story mm. about this tribe that members of this tribe that were uh opposing this mine and they were had teamed up with these like two white guys who were environmental activists and the Times like quoted this guy like crazy and da da da. And they were like, we love him. And then I did a smooth five minute duck duck go and was like, huh, that guy actually is an environmental terrorist. <laughs> right? Like, 
Oops. It took me five minutes on the internet to find out that he's the co-founder right. of a group that advocated for the end of industrial society as a, as the only way to solve the climate crisis. And this was right. the guy who got the full Top billing in the New York he Times. He got the poll yes. quote. They quoted him, of course, over of course. the Native American woman who was representing her tribe and opposing like the reporting is objectively suffering. Objectively. It's obviously suffering. And, and you know, when know I took my because last Twitter, Twitter break, I finished yeah. my book and then I finished right. 25% of the new book and I'm going to start my next one. I'm going to finish the book this summer. It's going to go summer to summer. Then, you know, I'll just take three months off and do like one tweet a day or whatever. And that'll yeah. be my thing. Yeah. Speaking of Twitter. Speaking of Twitter, our favorite associate producer, Ryan Breslow. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Ryan reporter. Breslow. Silicon Valley <laughs> associate Corp. producer Senior. of This Week in Startups. He blocked me. He was he like, did? I thought we were besties. And Aww. I was like, I, you were on the pod. I don't know your parents' name. If you have any siblings, I've never had dinner with you. I was having this conversation with my wife. And I was like, not sure if this person is actually a good friend of ours. We've seen them 10 times, you know, at social events. But I don't know their parents' name. I don't know their siblings. Uh, I don't know how they met. Never had dinner one-on-one -on -one with them. Therefore, they're not, like, friends. Friends. Like, yeah, they're yeah. associates or acquaintances. they're acquaintance, acquaintances. Like. So anyway, uh, Ryan was like, I thought we were friends. And I was like, are we friends? Really? Oh, man. Oh, man. I don't oh, man. know about that. Or it's something similar to that. Like, anyway, Ryan uh, is still on his jihad. And he's Senior off Silicon of his- Silicon Valley correspondent, Ryan Breslow, reporting today <laughs> with- Reporting from the field. <laughs> his investigative journalist, Ryan Breslow, uh, dancing like a fool on psychedelics. <laughs> <laughs> joking so awesome joking so um awesome. he went uh he he i guess he came up with a new term shadow fired mm -hmm. that the instacart founder was shadow fired i guess is his claim um he was shadow, shadow fired, fired was uh that was me <gasps> okay that sorry oh, producer nick came up with the term shadow fire fantastic Shadowfire. Great. i like to misattribute to ryan you know? okay very good Nick's thank like, you also and he's like i would also like amazing. my flowers you mm -hmm. get your flowers i gave you amazing. flowers for sasol i gave you flowers for shadow fire very good um so um breslow hot off his creative writing class <laughs> in all his free time <laughs> and his triumphant victory um just beating dom into Over submission mm -hmm. uh, and then telling him he would back his next company <laughs> Oh my god, he's a master troll. He really master is a master troll, troll, creative writer, poster, and investigative journalist said um he now compares Sequoia to the mafia, mm -hmm. uh Don, and he accused Sequoia of axing the Instacart CEO to pave the way for an IPO mm -hmm. as a way to return monies to their LPs. This thing is so unbelievably ridiculous, but I guess we have to go through it because yeah um so he doesn't appear to have been a hundred percent wrong about fast so okay sure that's probably you know. true yeah um yeah. so yeah i mean i a lot of times when we know this as journalists having both been journalists you know you're starting to triangulate on a story and there could be some things that are true and then things you're filling in or your mind fills in right you know reasonably but that are not true um, he said that they were able to oust the former CEO by hiring Instacart's former CFO, Ravi Gupta, in 2019 to conspire against the founder and CEO, uh, Apoor Rav. Meta. Meta, yes, I've met mm -hmm. him before. Um, so Gupta, I guess the former CFO, became a partner at Sequoia. This is their his claim. 
Sequoia obviously led the $8.5 million Series A in Instacart in 2013. So they have a nice chunk of the company. And uh, and he basically says, if you hit the, the gist of the accusation is that Sequoia was like, we need a liquidity event and that Instacart is a good option because the others are continuing to grow really incredibly fast. Instacart's growing fine uh, or you know, really quickly. So we should push them toward an IPO. And uh, and maybe Apurva Meta did not want that IPO. And so the idea here, again, according to the Twitter thread, is that by bringing in this CFO who really knew all the dirt, they were able to build a pressure campaign against Meta and uh, or Meta and push him out and sort of say like, oh, he had managerial chaos. And, you know, mm. he's like, the, the reasons are are pretty weak, why they ousted him. Okay, and so there's two pieces. CEO. There's yeah. two huge flaws here. Number one, Sequoia has been very Truth. clear that they're holding their positions in public companies as part of the new Sequoia. They're not trying to liquidate their um, stuff. So this idea that Sequoia needs liquidity, liquidity is farcical. Mm -hmm. So that okay. is like, so even if they did oust the CEO, or the CEO was fired for performance, whatever, however you want to frame that, right? Because we're, we're talking about how you frame the CEO leaving. Yep. Was did they were they fired for performance? Did they collaborate on it because they weren't doing a good job and they felt like they hit their top? But if you look at the revenue numbers for the company, mm -hmm. maybe you could read the last three years revenue numbers. Do you have those handy there? Or can somebody pull those up? Because he did put the screenshots of it. And I think the issue with Instacart was Whole Foods got bought. Mm -hmm. They had a crazy dependency on that. Uber Eats, Postmates start doing grocery. Amazon starts getting heavy into grocery. And the founder, um, you know, I think had challenges around massive competition. And maybe the company didn't rise to that occasion might yeah. be the issue here. And again, I don't have in I, I'm associated with Sequoia as well. I don't have inside information on this just to super be clear before I get reaggregated on this. Right. But here's the here are the numbers, right? The and numbers. Let's take into account the fact that these numbers occurred during a pandemic when everybody was ordering everything. So in 2019, Instacart uh, made $735 million. 2020, mm -hmm. one and a half billion. Boom, right? Amazing so they growth. double year over year during they the pandemic makes double. a lot of sense. And year before over that, they were up 50% roughly. And they were growing 50% a year, it looks like. But then from uh, 2020 to 2021, which is again, still during a pandemic when yeah. you would assume that a lot of people had built habits around grocery ordering, all of a sudden, revenue slows dramatically. One point five billion yeah. to one point eight billion. Yeah, they grow twenty percent. Yeah, twenty percent. And the valuation got crazy. It was like thirty nine billion at the peak, and it recently went down to twenty four billion. I think that move was so that they could give employees stock options. Um, so, but I think that this is made up nonsense. Uh, to be totally honest, uh, the only person who really knows, I guess, is the board of mm -hmm. why he left. But. Um, yeah, I have no idea. And I'll, and as a friend of mine pointed out, it's the new CEO that was brought in, one of, of Breslow's claims that the, the new CEO doesn't know anything about logistics. What the new CEO does know, though, evidently is advertising, right? And mm -hmm. how to make money <laughs> on digital products. So yes. there's value in that. The Instacart product itself, like from a design and usability perspective, completely stalled. Yeah, nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. Zero has all. changed. I, I mean, I have this experience. I use Good Eggs. I use Uber Eats now. I use DoorDash uh, and Amazon. Mm -hmm. And they keep adding better and better features. And let's face it, 
Instacart is the same exact product and it's not perfect. I mean, it, the amount of items Instacart gets wrong for order is what for you? Two out of 10, one out of 10. Yeah. I mean, it depends on the day, but it's always something. There's never it's always something. There's never a perfect order. I did have a perfect order yesterday. I rarely use oh. it anymore too, because at some point you actually can't continue to justify paying a like 40% premium. It's kind of expensive. I mean, I, you spend 40 yeah. to 50% between the service fee and like, I think there's a gas fee now and then the markup on the groceries and then the tip. It I'm depends on the size of the order. Again. If you're doing a $200 order, then it goes down to maybe, what would it be, 20%, 40 bucks to deliver it? Yeah. So for 200, it's 20%. If you're doing 100, it's 40%, right? So it, I think it's order size. That order is the size key. Is, what they, is how they calculate the tip. Yeah, but I'm just saying like there's a markup on the groceries. Right. Like, which isn't used to be a lot more transparent and like ah. they would tell you which stores had a markup and which stores didn't. And now I'm assuming that they all do because they don't say it anymore. But so the groceries mm. cost more already to order from Instacart yeah. and there's a service fee and there's a tip and there's a, and so you like literally will end up paying 50% more than what you would have paid if you went to the store. That's bonkers. Yeah. It's bonkers. It's yeah. just not so. I think there are a lot of reasons a lot of headwinds, um, why this that. might have happened. And then, but then of course, obviously Twitter was just in love with the tweet thread. Neil Kosla tweeting, don't take money from Sequoia is one of the hotter takes I've seen. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I, so, I mean, just to recap Ryan Breslow's <laughs> advice for founders, don't go to YC. Don't take money from all the top venture firms and create a block against your competitors and win. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh yeah uh-huh i mean again he did not appear to be 100 percent wrong about fast no so who knows right but even he was like to be clear i don't know I i've just heard this from people and i don't know if it's true at all and then eric newcomer from bloomberg who's just so great uh and you, i saw you responded to him said you know silicon valley loathes the tech press until it realizes that anonymously sourced stories get replaced with an endless stream of ryan breslow's unhinged speculative tweet stories <laughs> I mean, it falls into the category of something TechCrunch was doing, which I disagreed with at the time. And I told the founder uh, in the early days, which is they dubbed process journalism. And I was like, what's process journalism? Like, oh, it's what Valley Wag and TechCrunch do. We just publish something that comes into the tip line. And then we let the entire audience read it and then ask them if it's true. And I was like, are you guys deranged? Like, that's not process journalism. That's like, slander or just not doing any work and they're like yeah well we could call people they're just gonna not give us a comment so we might as well just float the thing we've heard and th that's what they that's what a lot of places did you can basically say the story now is mm -hmm. i everybody's talking about this rumor yeah so like is that really journalism saying. to say like everybody's saying that this person is in the closet i mean this is what gawker did they just took people who were instead of saying they were outing somebody they just said everybody's talking about anderson cooper everybody's talking about tim cook this is when they were both in the closet and we're reporting on the rumor it was like really like okay fine you know just a low level of journalism i don't know how you feel about it i think that the um new york times is worried that 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 some of that is starting to happen to their journalism because i will i will say on the plus side when i was there there was none of that and yes. at one point I was even like, what about like, I think this might be a story. And what if we sort of like put out a blog post and to see if it was a story? And it was like, no, no way. We 100% do don't do that. And I appreciated too, in uh, the dropout watching 
how specific, how careful, you know, like how yes. realistic that portrayal was of an editor who's like, I'm sorry, it sucks. I know you want to go with this, but you cannot because you don't have get it. this person on the record, get the story. And, and yeah, I did and not off the record on right, the record on yeah. the record. And I did appreciate that in my time at the times that there was none. And I appreciate mm-hmm. that about like, for example, here, right? We're like, we do diligence a certain way. That's the deal. If no somebody shortcuts. doesn't want to participate in diligence, it tells you everything you need to know. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you don't want to have a board and you've raised $10 million, you don't want to have like insurance or have a board or have like, if you don't want to run the company professionally, like, yeah. why would you raise money for a company then? Like, that's kind of the idea here is to do that. We, you know, we have so much more to talk about. Just to give you a preview of tomorrow's show. Mm-hmm. Uh, things we didn't get to on the docket today. Uh <laughs> Bloomberg sources, there's a there's beta versions of Apple's iOS 16 going around that have some references to mixed reality headsets. We'll talk about that tomorrow. Um, and uh, Epic, we're going to talk about Epic raising a bunch Epic of money raised at a $31 money. billion dollar valuation, why they might be doing that. And we might Peter get to the Peter Thiel Bitcoin speech. We have to get to the Peter Thiel we Bitcoin speech, but it's, a, it's just so much show that <sighs> we can't. So we'll see you all on tomorrow's show. We're also going to be interviewing the CEO of WorldCoin for an episode that I think will drop on Wednesday or Thursday. So we got a lot of great show this week, this week uh, in startups.com, youtube.com slash this week in and uh, do a search for this week in startups Australia if you want to uh, listen to Mark Pesci's version of this show from down under I was the first guest and uh, give him a subscribe and a like and a, a review. It's a great interview a great human being and uh, he's on his 10th season the all in summit is sold out. Gave uh, 250 tickets to uh, on scholarships, uh, a lot of underrepresented founders, and uh, we got the gender, we got the gender balance in the audience worked out. <laughs> Looking pretty dark there for a minute. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to go to this conference. There's so many dudes. I was like, the ninety percent, eighty-seven percent dudes. No, thank you. But you Good were pleased you to know it's at that. And two out it, of it's gonna yeah we, we're we're almost at 40 percent female that's that, that would be a good goal i mean I, when's the last time you we went to a tech conference that was 40 percent female yeah nope not doesn't exist right doesn't exist 20 percent, 30 percent. i guess would be the norm like in that range i think i guess yeah what it, well, i don't say normal is the average right um normal would be yeah no know. i think 40 percent is good now, we, if, if we can get, get to 40 percent if you can get that speaker i got, I got the speakers the i got the speaker problem worked out um, but you're not your insights were not your private insights to me were not incorrect i'll just leave it at that mm. Mm. let's just say there might be some besties who people want to be interviewed by less than other besties and so it becomes a little bit of a, a challenge sometimes it, you know in these polarizing times it's just you know some people just don't want to even participate in an event where people have a difference of opinion than them, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All right. We will see you on this week in startups tomorrow. Bye bye. Bye bye. <laughs> hey, everyone. Producer Nick here. I want to tell you about the SaaS syndicate. If you're a founder of a SaaS company with a product and market, our investment team wants to talk to you. Head over to the syndicate.com slash SaaS, S A A S to apply to raise from the SaaS syndicate. And you can join Jason's syndicate of over 9,000 accredited investors at thesyndicate.com. Producer Justin here. Know a cool startup? Check out openscouting.com, where anyone can refer a startup to our investment team here at launch. Even if you don't know the founder, if you're the first to flag a company for us and we decide to invest, you'll get 5K in cash or 10% of our carry. Hey everybody, producer Rachel here. 
Are you an early stage startup that has product and market, some traction, and are looking to raise at least $500,000? Apply today to Remote Demo Day for your chance to pitch to over 9,000 investors in Jason's syndicate. Submit your application at remotedemoday.com. Our next event is on April 27th. And if you want to learn how to invest in startups from the world's greatest angel investor, and no, we're not talking about Chris Saka, then head to angel.university to apply. The four-hour workshop costs $300 and all proceeds are donated to charity. To date, we've donated over $175,000 to various charities and you can see the full list at angel.university slash charity.